Well, good uh, morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace. There's a bunch of folks in the back looking for seats, so if you can scooch in a little bit, make some room for them, they'll pay you 10 bucks and uh, help them find seats. It's good to see you guys and uh, glad to be together. Welcome everyone who's uh, watching online. Good to be with you as well. Thanks for joining us this weekend. Um, if I haven't met you, my name is Pastor Jeff. I haven't been here for a little bit. Was, I was uh, gone for a little bit. I would love to meet you if you've come the last four or five weeks. I'd love to, to know your name and connect with you a little bit. So I'll be out in the lobbies afterward and uh, would love to shake your hand and, uh, and know your name. And even if you've just never met me before, I had a girl last night at Saturday services come up to me and say, I've come here for six years. I've never said hi to you. Uh, so I said hi to her and um, kicked her out of the church. And so <laughs> I don't want that to happen to you. Um, but I would, I'd, seriously, I'd love to meet you and shake your hand a little bit and get to know you some. Uh, we're in a series right now called When We Saw God, and we started it last weekend. And uh, we're talking about having a clear understanding of the heart and the mind of God and how that uh, changes our relationship with God and how that can even change our relationship with each other. And so we're digging at that a little bit. If you uh, weren't able to be here last weekend, go out to our website, graceohio.org. And you can uh, watch that conversation there or uh, listen to it. Or you can uh, sign up and get a podcast uh, that downloads every week. All that's for free. But love for you to, to catch up on, on those things. I want to continue this conversation this weekend. And I want to uh, I take some time together to look at, this, look at a weird story in the Bible. And a story that raises a bunch of questions. It's kind of hard to get your head around a little bit. Um, but as we look at that story... And look how the people in that story interacted with God throughout the story. Um, I bet you we'll find ourselves some in that. And uh, maybe learn some of the foundational things that, that we need to weave into our relationship with God and our understanding with God, okay? So uh, grab your Bibles if you got them and open them up to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. It's page 14. And those Bibles, if you don't own a Bible, please just take one of those with you and keep it. I'd love for you to have it. And uh, if you want to use your, uh, your phone, uh, I recommend the app, the Grace Church app. So you can uh, go out to the app store if you don't have it and just uh, search it and grab it or open it up and all the notes and everything are right there. And uh, if you're watching online, use that app. You can enter into a forum and, and converse there and use the app to uh, interact back and forth with us. So... Genesis chapter 22. Let me, uh, before we get to the strange story, let me uh, tee it up a little bit and kind of put it in context, okay? So the Bible is broken into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament's the oldest part, the New Testament's the newest part, the New Testament's the part that Jesus shows up in. So before Jesus shows up, there's this whole record of God interacting with humanity that we call the Old Testament. And the more that you know the Old Testament, the more the New Testament makes sense because Jesus is kind of the fulfillment of a lot of these promises in the Old Testament. So way back at the very, very beginning of the Bible in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, uh, God interacted with people in the Old Testament differently than he does in the second part of the Bible because Jesus changed a bunch of stuff. But our faith, if you're a Christian, all of our faith is still rooted back there in the Old Testament. So it kind of all works together uh, when you put the whole story together. So the, the founding fathers of our faith are these guys, we, we often call them the patriarchs. So guys like uh, Moses and Noah and then Abraham is like a big, big deal 
in the beginning part of the Bible. And so sometimes you'll hear people say, um, I'm a child of Abraham, or the line of Christ comes through Abraham, or our faith is rooted in Abraham. And that doesn't mean that you're Jewish. That means that you're a Christ follower, right? So you would trace it all the way back through the church, through Jesus, through the nation of Israel, all the way back to Abraham. In fact, when I was a kid growing up in, in church, we used to sing a song called Father Abraham. And many sons, many sons have father. And you move your arms and legs, and I hated it then, so we won't do it now. But, uh, but it was that. It was like that, that all being rooted back in Abraham, okay? So Abraham was a guy that also the New Testament talks about, and he was known for his faith. And in the book of Hebrews, the Bible says that his faith was credited to him as righteousness. So he was known for trusting God and interacting with God and having faith in God. And, and it's a bunch of cool things that God did in Abraham and through Abraham. And one of the things that happened with Abraham is God came to him and said, hey, I'm going to build a nation through you. And he meant that like in a, a biological sense, like there's going to be a great nation and they're going to chase their genealogy and genetics through you. And when God made that promise to Abraham, it was a big, big deal, but there was a problem. And the problem was that Abraham and his wife, Sarah, couldn't have kids. So for decades, like Abraham kind of had this in his mind that he was going to father this great, great nation. And for decades, his wife couldn't get pregnant. And so in many ways, I'm sure they had kind of given up hope. Well, later on, uh, when Abraham was about 98 or 99, now in the Old Testament, especially the beginning of it, people live longer than they do today. And there's a bunch of reasons why, but that's, that's the way it was. So he was 98 or 99. Uh, these angels showed up, talked to Abraham and said, hey, now you guys are going to have a son. In fact, Sarah overheard it and she laughed about it because she would have been like in her mid to late 70s when this happened. So they were like, you're going to have a baby? And she's like, yeah, whatever, I'm old. And they're like, no, a miracle is going to happen, right? So it happened. And Sarah got pregnant. She gave birth to their only son, Isaac. And when Isaac was born, Abraham was 100, and Sarah would have been probably about 80 or so, right? So can you imagine being 100, <laughs> having a baby? Because I know that things are different, but old's old, you know what I'm saying? And so like 100 years old, but that was their deal, right? So they had, a, they had an infant, and in Isaac would have been the fulfillment of all God's promises to Abraham. So this baby was like a big deal, obviously, a miracle baby, obviously, and the fulfillment of like decades of faithfully following God, decades of like patiently waiting on this promise to be fulfilled, decades of like, does God love me? Does he remember me? Everything is embodied in this child, Isaac. That God's faithfulness embodied in Isaac, God's truth embodied in Isaac, God's love embodied in Isaac. And, and they loved and doted on this kid. He had only child syndrome like crazy, right? By the way, all of you who are only children don't know what only child syndrome is. It's part of being an only child. You have the syndrome, but you don't recognize it. The rest of us, especially your spouse, do, right? So, so he had only child syndrome, and they just love, love, love this kid, and a miracle, and the embodiment of all these things, and it was amazing, okay? Now, chapter 22 of Genesis. This, this weird strange story comes in with all that background. So chapter 22, verse 1, sometime later, 
God tested Abraham, and I actually have the words tested Abraham underlined in my Bible. Those are pretty pivotal words, important words. So sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here he is, here I am, Abraham replied. Then God said, take your, your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go up to this region and sacrifice him on a mountain that I'm going sh- to show you as a burnt offering. Early in the morning, the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, uh, Abraham, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied, the fire, uh, the, wood, uh, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac uh, said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they had reached the place that he had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. That's a pretty weird story. In fact, if you're, if you're honest, it's disturbing. All right, it's disturbing because you don't have to know the Bible. You may know the Bible a little bit and you can be like, I'm pretty sure it's like don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't commit human sacrifice. Like somewhere in there that's in the Bible, right? And, and so it's disturbing that God would say to Abraham, a faithful servant of God. Remember, he, he's, he's credited for his faith. That's why it's like his claim to fame. So Abraham, a lifetime of like uprooting, following, trusting God, right? And God, the, the embodiment of all God's promises, I want you to take your son. It's not like your house, your car, it's your kid. And I want you to go build an altar and I want you to perform what's called the atoning sacrifice. It's an Old Testament sacrifice where the priest would take a, a lamb or a, maybe a dove bleed it out like cut its throat bleed it out and then burn it and the blood of the lamb would pay for the sins of the family so I want you to cut your kid's throat bleed him out and then burn his body I want you to do the atoning sacrifice on the on this mountain pretty disturbing dark confusing stuff why why would God do that okay now I think there's a couple of reasons and I want to talk to you about one of them, and then I want to camp on the other one, okay? Why would God do this? So here's the first reason. All of this, everything that you're, you're seeing here is a foreshadowing of what God the Father is going to do with his son, Jesus Christ. So you find this in the Old Testament. That's why I say, like, you can't, you can't really understand the New Testament unless you put it in the context of the Old Testament. So this is a foreshadowing. So this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus shows up but God is showing his people, the patriarchs, and then Israel. He's showing them kind of what's going to happen when the promised Messiah comes. So God did this in part 
to create for us a physical real life illustration so that we could download Jesus better later on. So you see these elements of foreshadowing. Uh, they, they rode the donkey out. That's a foreshadowing of the triumphal entry when Jesus rode on the cult. The, the cult. Uh, they, they, uh, he put the wood on Isaac to go up the mountain. That's a foreshadowing of Jesus carrying the cross, right? Uh, he, he put Isaac on the altar. He, Isaac was going to be the atoning sacrifice. That's a foreshadowing. Christ was the atoning sacrifice for you and I, paying for the sins of the world. So there's all this foreshadowing there, and certainly that's a part of why God allowed this to happen. And, and this would be my contention. I believe, I believe that God knew he was not going to have Abraham actually kill Isaac. I don't believe Abraham knew that, or Isaac knew that. So you say, what, God was going to have a human sacrifice change his mind? No, I don't think God changed his mind. I believe God knew what he was doing, that he was creating an illustration for you and I to look at and understand Jesus, because we could, we could spend like all weekend just looking at the foreshadowing. So I believe that, that God knew the outcome. I don't believe that Abraham and Isaac and Sarah did. Okay? So there's this foreshadowing, and that's an important piece and an interesting piece. And like I said, we could, we could look at that, and we could... Um, get a whole bunch of stuff out of it, and it's a powerful, powerful thing. Maybe we'll do that another time. That's one reason. Here's the second reason. The clearest reason why God did this is actually in the Bible. The Bible says it, okay? So the clearest reason is chapter 22, verse 1. Go back there. Here's the, the main thing. The main thing is this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. So the, the number one, the kind of clearest reason why God did this was he was testing his servant. Now, you could ask the question, uh, why does God, God test us? Does God test us, right? And the answer is, yeah, yeah. God does not tempt us, the Bible says, but he does test us. So does God test us? Yes. Why? Well, the Bible actually answers that question too, James chapter one. Uh, the Bible says that God tests us so that he allows us to go through trials to push and to develop our faith. He does it to mature us and to complete us so we can get spiritually in shape, we can develop perseverance so that we don't lack anything spiritually. So does God test us? Yes. Why does God test us? Well, for that, to, to temper us, to make us stronger for the path he has before us and for ultimately what he wants to entrust us to. That's why he does it. Why does he do it this way? And if you're a thinking person, and I, all of us are, you could look and say, you're telling me God tests us. Yes, all right. He tests us to, to grow us spiritually, right? Right. And you're telling me this is the only way he can accomplish that? Hmm. Like walk up the mountain that he reached out his hand to slay his son. What that is, his, his hand is in the air. The knife's on its way down. Read the passage. When the angel yells out, Abraham, Abraham, there's exclamation points. It wasn't like Abraham, Abraham. It was like stop, right? I mean, he's, he's in the middle of doing that. So if you're a thinking person, you can look at that and say, now you're telling me that the only way for God to develop Abraham's faith enough is to bring it to the brink of running a knife through your kid. 
That's what you're telling me that that's got to be. And I would look at you and I would say, fair question. Fair question. Right? You're, you're telling me, so, so let me ask you a question, Pastor Jeff, Dr. Bogue. Let me ask you a question, Dr. Bogue. God tests us, yes. To develop our faith, yes. And he has to do it that way? Why did he do it that way? And I would look at you. And I would, first of all, I'd lay out my credentials. Listen, it's Dr. Bogue. There's lots of degrees behind all this. And by the way, I have lots of decades of pastoring. So I'm going to give you a very profound answer. Plus, I have an enormous IQ, and I'm very insightful, and all of this, you're welcome. <laughs> and here's my insightful answer to your question. He tests us, yes. To develop our faith, yes. Why this way? I would look at you and I'd say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And when we get an I, know, don't, I don't know answer, it really affects our relationship with God. Because just think about it. You're telling me this family, Abraham, and then his dear wife, Sarah, who he's drug all over the place now following God. Who he, he seeded with a promise. Hey, hey, sweetie, guess what? God's going to build a nation off of us. We're going to be in the Bible. It's going to be around forever. And then she can't get pregnant for decades. You're telling me this, this faithful man and this faithful woman, now that same God, loving God who has our best interest in mind, is going to put them through this? Because what do you say? When you lay down at night and, and Sarah's like, hey, why are you packing the donkey? Where are you guys going? Did you get the DVDs? Do you have snacks? Right? Why are you packing the donkey? Uh, God told me to go, uh, you know, bleed Isaac out and burn his body. Because, listen, Abraham tells her why. It's three days there. It's three days back. There's no cell coverage. She doesn't know. When you see this play out, this dear family, and you look and say, you're telling me God had the only way God could accomplish what he was going to accomplish was to put them through that. It's a really fair question. And this is what happens. God does this with us. Does God test you? Yes, he does. Why? To develop your faith. But why does he have to take me down? Why do I have to go through all of this pain? Why do I have to go through a loss? Why does my relationship have to break? Why do I have to be on the verge of bankruptcy or in it? What, why, why did I have to lose my health? You're telling me the only way for me to learn this lesson was for me to go through all this torment. And you can look honestly and say, I don't understand the heart and mind of God. And when we don't understand something, here's our tendency. It's mine. Maybe you're better than me, but here's mine. My tendency is to point at God and kind of shake my fist at him. You are unfair. You are cruel. You don't even care. I don't even know if you exist because I have been faithful to you and I got sick. That guy is a jerk and he's healthy as a horse. We, we have strived to have a godly family and our kid malfunctioned. We raised him in the church. That guy is a, a diphthong and, the, and their kids are like functional human beings. You're telling me that you test me, yeah, so you're allowing this to happen in my life? Yes, I am. To develop my faith, yes, I am. And it's the only way you can pull this off. And when we don't understand God, and we're frustrated by the mystery that is God's interaction with us sometimes, we shake our fist. Now, 
You could ask me another question. You could say, Jeff, does God love me? I say, yeah. That's in the book? That's in the book, all over the book. So God loves me, yeah, he loves me. And you could look at me and say, why does God love me? And I would sit down and I would say, well, first of all, let me lay out my credentials. It's Dr. Jeffrey A. Bogue, and I have decades of, and I have a high IQ, and, and you're welcome. And then I'd look at you and I'd say, I don't know. I don't know. Because you think about our relationship with God and God loving us, God really gets the raw end of that deal. Hey, I love you guys, so I'm going to give my only son and Jesus come and live and suffer and die and lay down your life to rescue them and that's what I give to you and in return God I will take that for granted personalize it hoard it and doubt you occasionally and basically live in rebellion it's a real big ripoff so what why does God love us well I don't know the answer to that either there's no logical conclusion to that why does God test us this way I don't know why does he love us? I don't know the answer to that either. Does he test me? Yes. Does he love me? Yes. I know, I know that he does. I don't know why it all plays out the way that it plays out. I just know that it's true. But this is what happens. We don't understand God's love any more than we understand God's testing, but we tend to accept God's love because we want it and need it. And so instead of looking and shaking our fist at God's love, we'll embrace God's love. We'll kind of look at God and say, I don't like your testing, you're a jerk. And we'll look and say, I like your love and I kind of deserve it. And I would kind of argue that neither one of those things is true. That we cannot understand God's testing any more than we can understand God's love because it's outside of the purview of our ability to understand things. In fact, God says that this is the way that he works. Our ability to understand the confusing parts of God is limited. In fact, if we're waiting to rationally and logically understand God, that's a goal that we will never achieve. God tells us this in Isaiah chapter 55. I put this in your notes. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Basically, God looks at us and says, guys, listen, you're not me. You're not God, you're humanity. We don't think alike. You think in 70 to 100-year windows, I think eternally. We don't see the world the same. You, you see what's in front of you. You are defined by whatever's around you. I, I'm defined in an eternal plan. You want me to interact and kind of make instant problems go away. I don't see your problems that way. I see you as a part of a master plan and you can be, I'm inviting you into something that I'm doing. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And, and you're never going to get your head around me completely. You're never going to understand me completely. There's always going to be weird, strange things that you're not going to be able to bring to a logical conclusion. And I would submit this. I would submit that you cannot understand God without choosing to love and trust him. You cannot understand God without faith. You can study God you can rationalize God, you can study science, and all those things are appropriate. 
But ultimately, our ability to understand God boils down to a decision of faith to love and to trust God. Faith is choosing to believe in what we cannot and will never fully understand. Faith is not checking out intellectually. Faith is not setting aside reason. Faith is not checking out of critical thinking. That, none of that's faith. That's, you should do all those things. But when you understand and lock into uh, your, your interaction with God, when you boil it down to its very core, you must interact with God by faith. You must choose to believe that he loves you and has your best interest in mind because that is actually the foundation of every relationship. Every relationship we have is based in faith. When you, if you're married, when you got married, you had absolutely no idea what you were getting yourself into because you can't know the future. So you entered into a faith relationship. I choose to believe. I choose to trust. I choose to accept love. When you have children, your relationship with your children is a, is a faith relationship. I'm choosing to hope. I'm choosing to trust. I'm choosing. When you make a friendship, friendship is a faith relationship. I'm having faith that you are who you say you are, that I can interact with you. you can have, every relationship we have is a faith relationship, and certainly our relationship with God is that way. In fact, you cannot understand God if you do not enter into that relationship by faith. I put this phrase in your notes. I said it this way. The nature of the relationship brings definition to the actions within a relationship. You agree with that statement? The nature of a relationship brings definition to the actions within the relationship. What that relationship is and what I choose for it to be is what causes the actions within it to make sense. So I have a routine every Saturday, and what I like to do on Saturdays when I go into the office is I like to, I like to take a look at my money. I like to open up the computer, and I like to go to my bank site and my investments, and I like to look at my money. And me and my money, we just spend some time together on Saturdays. It's like a coffee date. We just hang out, me and my money. And I like to see what my money is doing. And I have all my businesses and all of our personal accounts. I just like to make sure my money is just safe and secure and well protected. And I like to encourage it to grow. And so yesterday, on Saturday, I was looking at my money. And I have different accounts. And one of my accounts says Jeff. And that's Jeff's money. And I was looking at Jeff's money, and as I was looking at Jeff's money, I noticed that some of my money was missing. <laughs> and I was like, where is Jeff's money? Because I missed it, and I started to weep because we're close. And I wanted my money back, and I thought, where is my money? Where could my money possibly have gone? And then it hit me. I wonder if my Jeff money went to the account marked Heidi. And so I opened the Heidi account, and sure enough, there was my money, <laughs> right? And I thought to myself, this Heidi person has embezzled my money. <laughs> so I called the FBI, and I said, Heidi is stealing my money, and if you'll notice, she's not around this weekend, right? Now, did Heidi embezzle my money, or... Did the definition of our relationship bring definition to the actions within it? Did the nature of my relationship with Heidi cause 
what she did to make sense. Because Heidi's my wife. She didn't embezzle my money. It's our money. It's not my money. It's ours. And because of the relationship, all she did was move something over to buy Christmas presents. The nature of the relationship causes the actions to make sense, right? I think I have a stalker. I'm pretty sure I got a stalker. I got this guy text me all the time. And he always, the other day, he was texting me. He's like, where are you? What are you doing? When are you getting here? What time are we getting together? Are you bringing chips? I'm like, I got a stalker. So I called the FBI. I was like, it's Jeff again, right? Do I have a stalker or do I have a friend who is trying to communicate with me so we can get together and watch the football game? The nature of the relationship causes definition for the actions within it. Some of you might have people in your house taking from you. They're narcissistic, they're selfish, they're self-centered, and they look at you and they're like, feed me, put me to bed, I want milk, change my diaper, right? Do you have some kind of weirdo in your house or are you the mother of small children, right? The nature of the relationship. Some of you might have a wild animal in your house as we speak. A wild animal has broken into your house. You need an exterminator. You, you, need, you need a gun, right? Because you have a crazy animal, and it's chewing, and it's running wild, and it's going pee-pee on your carpet. <laughs> Do you have a wild animal in your house, or did you get a puppy for Christmas? The nature of the relationship brings definition to the actions within it. When you read the strange, weird, dark, freaky story in Genesis chapter 2. Do you notice that Abraham, Isaac, and Sarah don't freak out? We freak out because we're like, that is so wrong. They don't freak out. Isn't that weird? Sarah, there's no record of like Sarah going crazy, throwing herself in front of the donkey, won't let him leave the driveway, right? Abraham just gets up the next morning. He's like, yeah, I gotta, I'll sacrifice him. He gets up. Isaac, Isaac is probably in his mid-20s. His dad is like a buck 25. He could have overpowered his father. There's no battle between Isaac and Abraham. Isaac is submitting to, he binds him, he crawls on the altar. You notice that none of them are wigging out. This dear family who's been given all these promises by God, the nature of their relationship with God caused this weird thing that God was bringing about in their life to somehow make sense to them. I was reading, some scholars think, well, Abraham, some, some think Abraham thought that God would never do it. Others think that Abraham might have just assumed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. I don't know, those are very, you know, valid arguments. I don't know what Abraham was thinking, but he wasn't freaking out. He told the servants, we'll be back. His relationship with God, his decision to trust the heart of God, to see God for who he was, brought definition to this strange, weird, difficult path that God asked him to go down. Now, 
Think about this in the context of Christmas. Chris, we, we talk about Christmas, joy to the world, and peace on earth, all kinds of stuff. You pull a trust and a love for God out of Christmas, and it's a very dark and sadistic story. Because Christmas at its very core is a heavenly father, you could read it this way, kicking his only son out of heaven, condemning him to a 33-year death march. Is that a lovely baby gift from God or is Jesus a dead man walking? Because the only reason he came to the planet was to suffer and die and be the atoning sacrifice on the cross. So which story is it? Is God a dark, vengeful, sadistic, creepy God? Well, the nature of the relationship brings definition to the actions within it. You don't see Jesus freaking out. Je- Jesus wasn't like a bitter, you know, son. Are you the son of God? Yeah. Can't stand that guy. <laughs> what did he say? I and the Father are one. Our hearts and our minds are in sync. I want to be here too. Now, did, was Jesus realistic? Yeah. You get the Garden of Gethsemane before he's crucified. Jesus talks to his dad. Dad, is there a... It, is there any way that this cup can pass from me? Like, is there another way around this thing? And the aunt, son, I'm sorry, I love you, no, okay. And then the Bible specifically says, Christ willingly laid his life down. His life was not taken from him, his life was given. Jesus wasn't freaking out, why? Because he had, a, in essence, a faith decision. Every relationship we have is built on faith. He chose to believe and to trust and to rest in the heart and the mind of his father, even though his father sent him down this very, very difficult path. When we see God, and we see God for who he is and what he is and how he is, and we bring that into the everyday circumstances of our life, how we view life changes dramatically. Is God, God doesn't give a rip about you and you're just a peon and, and who are you and, and that's why you're sick and that's why you're in pain and that's why you can't get better and you pray and God doesn't care. Is, is that who God is? Or does the nature of the relationship define the actions within it? That God is giving you an opportunity to experience his faithfulness, giving you a platform to proclaim his love. God is maybe closer to you in your illness than he's ever been before. It is God, God gives us what he wants and, and that's, when, that's when I believe in God because I, I really wanted a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, I really wanted a relationship and I met this guy and he's amazing and, 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 and see, God is so good, so good but then the breakup happens and God doesn't care about me and he's condemned me to be single forever and how could you do this to me? Is, is that what it's gonna be? Or is the amazing God who gave you what you wanted the same amazing God who is a part of this? And maybe I trust him and love him and know that he has my best interest in mind. Maybe God didn't rip my dream away. Maybe God saved me from a nightmare. And that's why the relationship broke off. God was bailing me out, helping me to do something I would have never done on my own.
when we think about our, our hopes and our dreams and our desires and God won't you and shouldn't you and if you love me you would but God doesn't give that to us is that is that true then that he doesn't love us that he's a, that he took us to his place I don't want to is that what that is or does God steer us and shape us so that he can give us more than we could ever ask or imagine because the ultimate expression of God's love and abundance in our life might not even happen on the planet because life is a vapor but eternity is forever so maybe God is laying up for us treasures in heaven. Right? When, when, when your plans don't play out the way that you wanted them to play out, is that because is that the devil attacked you? I'm under spiritual attack. How come? Well, I asked God for this and it didn't happen, so the devil's out to get me. I don't, is the devil out to get you? I'm not sure the devil's out to get you. Any of, any of us who are, are, are a little bit older, like any of us, you, you look back in life and think, oh, the things I value the most right now are things I never wanted. Right? My life is like that. I never wanted to be married. When I was 20, I was like, I'm out. I'm not getting married. Then I met Heidi. I was like, yeah, I do. I never wanted kids. I tell Heidi that all that. She's like, when are we going to have kids? I was like, within five years. But I would always say, I didn't say which five years. And then, and then our first kid came along. And I was like, I'm never having more than two, four, six. <laughs> I never wanted to start a church. Never wanted to start a church. I never wanted a CrossFit gym. <laughs> but these are, these are things in my life that I, I cherish the most. But I wouldn't have chosen them or picked them or, see how that works. The nature of the relationship causes the actions within the relationship to make sense. And listen to me, that nature is decided upon because every relationship you have is built on faith. There's no way to know the future there's no way to anticipate the, the twists and turns of life. And, and looking and saying, I, the, the difference between joy and frustration in your marriage is a decision. The difference between dreading or embracing parenting is a decision. The difference between abandonment and being loyalty in a friendship is a decision. And the baseline of your relationship with God is a faith decision. Not checking out, not abandoning critical things, none of that stuff. Don't do that because the more critically you think and the more intellectually you engage God, the deeper your faith will become. It enhances all that, doesn't rip it away. But at its very, very core, there's a decision. I choose to see God. I choose to trust God. I choose to trust that he loves me and he has my best interest in mind. And when we see God correctly, what happens is we define God correctly. And that will literally alter everything. It will alter your view on life. It will alter your, your interaction with God. It'll actually alter your interaction with other people. But it's going to come down to this core that we see God. And that's what Abraham, Isaac, and Sarah did. That's why there's not the story. Isaac went on to love his father and follow God. He wasn't like scarred. Okay? Abraham was, it counted him as unto righteousness, that his faith, he continued to live a life of faith. Sarah was honored. It's not these bitter, angry people who are mad at God. Why? Because because they trusted this. Therefore, this is weird. I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't want to be a part of it. But I trust the one 
who has taken me down this path. All right. Why don't we take a couple minutes and, and download this a little bit, and, and I, I kind of ask you this question. When we, when generally, when we look at Christmas, we see this positive side of God. Man, he loves me, he gave his only son, Jesus showed up, Jesus loves me. And we kind of, now you pull the love and trust out of that, and it's a very dark story. You put it in, and it's a story full of hope, great joy, which is for all the world. A Savior has come, right? So here's my question. The view of God that we tend to have at Christmas, God loves me, he came for me, he loves me, he came to rescue me. Is that the view of God that we have like on Tuesday? Whatever journey God has you on, whatever mountain he sent you up, whatever altar you're standing in front of, do you view this loving, hopeful God the same way that you do at Christmas? Do you view him here? When he's, when he's taking you down a path you don't like, you don't understand. Because is God going to test you? Yeah, he is. It's in the book. I, I don't, he is. Explain it. Can't. Does God love you? Yeah, it's in the book. Explain it. Can't do that either. But it's the same guy. So in your views of God and how they affect your views of life, would you trust have faith, invite, surrender to God's perspective and God's plan, right? I didn't say quit thinking and quit asking questions. But making that decision, I'm going to rest in that relationship and, and put myself under God's control, okay? So let me pray and then you think and wrestle with that a little bit. The band will create a little space for us to to just kind of be with God and uh, let's allow God to adjust and correct and refine how we see him. Jesus, help us with this. It's hard for me too, God. I don't like it. I don't like it when you bring things in my life that aren't enjoyable and easy and all of us wrestle with that. But God, if you would increase our faith and deepen our love, God, help us to, to trust you or, or at least consider it, even if we're not there yet, at least consider that there's another option, a different perspective with it all. And God, I, I believe this just all comes down to us letting you define and direct our lives, yielding to that and surrendering to that, resting in it. And God, it's hard for us to give up control, but if you would help us and shape us and press that into us we'd be grateful so in these still moments god would you work like that and walk us through this journey jesus even now in your name amen